0: This is the AMA Los Angeles Podcast.
1: Are you ready?
2: Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. This segment is a live panel on influencer marketing that was recorded March 28th at the WeWork Fine Arts Building in downtown LA. Our moderator is Philip Reventish, and the panelists will introduce themselves. So let's join the conversation already in progress. I'm gonna have each panelist uh, do their quick, real quick elevator bio, and then I'm gonna ask them a question to get into the evening, and Justin, let's start with you.
1: Thank you. Uh, Good evening, everybody. My name is Justin Resvani. I'm uh, an entrepreneur, an investor, an advisor here in LA. Um, I uh, founded the Amplify, which is kind of why I think I'm on the panel here in 2013, and sold that company in 2016. Uh, in 2017, I was the Forbes 30 under 30 for marketing and advertising and really excited to share a little bit of
2: my knowledge in this uh, exciting space with you guys tonight. So you, were, uh, you founded your company in the proverbial garage or maybe the proverbial living room. What was the hardest thing you had to do in founding that company?
1: Uh, I think there's hundreds of things um, and hundreds of daily decisions that are made when starting a business, but probably the biggest one is that I think you sacrifice everything. So I think there's this concept and and I think it happens a lot in LA, uh, with people that like live for the weekends or they live to go to Coachella or whatever, like fun thing that's happening on the weekend. But when you decide to start a business and become an entrepreneur, if you want to be mildly successful, there's no such thing as a weekend or nights off or anything like that. So I think, mentally deciding that for the next few years of my life, I'm committing to building this business and it to be the most important thing and biggest focus in my life was probably one of the biggest challenging things because I lost relationships, friends, you know, spend less time with my family, all those things. So that would probably be my kind of best answer.
2: Janine?
3: Hi, hi, I'm Janine. I've been doing influencer marketing. I like to say since before it was a thing. I started- Janine like this. Sorry. Can like you this. Hear me? Okay. Yeah, like this. <laughs> Don't want to mess up the lipstick. Um, <laughs> so I've been doing influencer marketing for about six or seven years. Um, I started at a really small startup, went to an agency uh, called Famebit, and then I went over to the brand side and I worked for a hair company. And now I'm working at Textile, and I have not been there for very long—two <laughs> right. months. So,
2: so Textile has five million members and 17 million social followers which are great numbers so like she mentioned you've been with them for two whole months right so I'm curious you're new at the company what is your overall strategy that you're bringing in a textile for influencer marketing
3: yeah so um, my strategy is sort of based on diversification so I like to work with influencers of all different sizes I like to kind of hedge my bets by doing that so um, at textile we have a tiered system where we have tier 3 influencers who are micro influencers Tier two, which is kind of like people mid-range, and then tier one when you're getting into like the million-plus followers. Um, so that's the general strategy. And then um, I like to work, especially with YouTube. I love YouTube. That's my that's my place of focus. Um, Instagram's great too, but YouTube is really really the key. Where at that for me?
2: Excellent. We're following up on everything you just mentioned, so that's perfect. Ethan, hello. I'm
0: Ethan. Uh, last name Reynolds. Kind of odd to hear yourself project out of a mic like this. Um, I am the earned media manager at Census, which is a cross-cultural agency uh, here in downtown Los Angeles. Prior to joining Census, I was at Reflex Media, which is a web-based company in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, At Reflex, I brokered a bevy of influencer and celebrity-based relationships coming from the PR side. Um, A lot of those relationships were geared towards more traditional media rather than social media.
2: So being uh, a cross-cultural agency, how does that affect your influencer strategy? You know, I think that
0: in terms of the cross-culturalism, it's really um, getting a little bit more granular and making considerations for the audience that they're trying to reach and maybe not going for those large scale or mainstream influencers, but making considerations for the projected audience and um, really taking a a serious look at the influencers' engagement to ensure that we're reaching the the targets that the brand is looking for. Kyle?
4: Hi, I'm Kyle Cushman. I'm the VP of Integrated Marketing at Fullscreen. I've been there for about five years, so I was just saying I, I was there when it was scary. Um, so uh, at Fullscreen, I, um, I run a department that runs branded entertainment for entertainment, kids, gaming, and toys, and I also currently run the strategy for the Mattel business, which utilizes all of our project, products from social content management to YouTube channel management to content creation, um, and I'm working on Hot Wheels and, and Barbie and action figures.
2: Well, that sounds like fun. Um, so seeing how you, you are a Fullscreen veteran, has your strategy changed since you've been there?
4: Yes, I mean, it definitely has because, you know, when I first started in the business, it was all about vanity metrics. So subscribers and views and engagement. And now we are like advancing so much more into what we care about. So we have all these tech tools that can match interests and curate these lists that are really, um, you know, made for the brand, but then we have to go even further. And this is really where like, we put a big emphasis on the human touch of this. We also try to take a look at the influencers in three ways. So the first is creativity. How are they driving creative for their own brand? Because you forget that they're building their own brands. Is that aligning with what um, the brand's trying to do? Are they also creative? You know, sometimes they might be following a a, a bunch of trends and they're not really having a unique voice in the system. I mean, that really shows you how influential they are. The second is, are they dedicated to their craft? Are they posting consistently? If they stop posting, it's either that they're changing direction or they're going through something and you really don't want to be involved in them going through something. Um, and then the third is, uh, what's the third thing we look at? We look at, um, oh, their connection with their audience. What's happening in the community? So are they engaging with their audience and what is their audience saying? Um, frequently when we're working with gamers, which I'm a big you know fan of the gaming community, um, we have to be careful that we're not entering a negative environment because you can like easily jump into something that has tons of engagement, but is super negative.
2: Excellent, Eve?
4: Hi everybody, I'm very happy
5: to be here. <laughs> My name is Eve Noir, I am the CEO and um, co-founder at Mostly Sunny. We are an influencer marketing agency that truly believes that people trust people, not as. So we use the cool logic of machine learning and artificial intelligence combined with the warm human touch of influencers to to help brands basically meet their marketing goals and their target audience in more effective, authentic, and like more engaging ways. So basically in a nutshell, we believe that um, data is queen and creativity is her crown here. So I'm curious, you
2: mentioned machine learning. So are we talking about AI here? Or can you tell us a little bit more about that process? What are your machines learning?
5: so um let let me give you a quick example um best way to describe this process is um a a really popular uh, beauty line approached us and they had their eyes on a very popular beauty youtuber before they hire someone once they hire us we discovered that this influencer her audience was completely different um it consists mainly of teenage boys like living in Australia and also the UK. So this would have been catastrophic for the, the campaign. So we take it to effect, like certain factors, like <laughs> Mikhail was stating, we take into to effect who the influencer, we want to discover who they really are. We also want to discover who their audience are. So we have tools to basically figure out how many of their audience are active, inactive, real or fake. We have um, tools to figure out the sentiments and the themes that can like really resonate really well with a particular audience. Um, And and also, you know, of course the demographic data.
2: Excellent, okay. So that leads into exactly what we're gonna be talking about. So um, influencer marketing is no longer a new platform. It's been around, it is definitely maturing. I'd like to ask each panelist, what do you think has changed over time since it's not the new it thing? I mean, it's still very popular, Mm -hmm but it's not the new thing. What's
1: changed? All right.
4: So, Go for it, Kyle. Um, what has the big sh- change for me has been measurement because I came from the agency side and I wanted measurement beyond views and, and engagement. So we, I'm happy to report that there are now studies that can measure organic posts and that's a really big change over the past year. So measurement is huge and really like proving that it, it drives ROI. Um, and then the other thing I would say that's not really changed is the volatility of the pricing. And that's because when you're pricing out influencers, you are not pricing out a homepage takeover. There's so many X factors, right? Like how in demand are they? Like did they just get 10 people offer them something? Are they, you know, culturally relevant, but also brand safe, but also do a very unique thing. So that is something that I don't ever see changing.
0: Um, (laughs) I'm coming from a PR background. I think the major consideration that I've always made when uh, making a partnership with a celebrity or an influencer is how does this translate into traditional media? So taking it away from social platforms and bringing it into um, the traditional press space, um, will a reporter buy into this concept? And uh, even more so, will the reporter's audience um, you know, respond positively to this? Um, the last thing that you want wi- as a publicist is is these uh, partnerships to go wrong or for the uh, influencer celebrity to generate
2: the wrong kind of press? Eve, do you wanna jump in and then we'll go with Janina.
5: Okay. Um, I believe that um, influencer marketing has changed with diversity. I believe that a lot of brands are taking, um, there's so many influencers out there, um, such a diverse pool, that with the data and with technology has given like brands and companies a way to basically, to sort out and to vet influencers where they're willing to take like calculated risks, uh, like probably personalities that they wouldn't have generally have like really worked with in the past. So that really gives, in my opinion, influencers who probably doesn't fit the the stereo, the mainstream role of what is it, to give them a, a outlet and a voice to, um, to to basically voice their opinion and, and uh, to to it gives them a voice and their audience a voice and it also gives the companies an avenue of growth for like basically di- diving and diving into these um, markets that would have been otherwise been very difficult if it wasn't for these like micro influencers.
1: Justin, you know I I love all the conversations around data and I think data is tremendously changed, as kind of you were saying earlier. But I also think that there's a there's this concept of diminishing returns that have also occurred in the industry. So basically, the same post that you could have bought for X amount of dollars five years ago had a much higher arbitrage than it does today. So what the X factor that brands need to do and what they need to do to implement uh, that missing arbitrage is to integrate that influencer much earlier in the marketing stack and also in a much uh, more deeper conversation. So what I mean by that is that, you know, people are normalized to like, here's an Instagram post and that's the end of kind of my relationship with this person. But the big thing is that, well, we just need to integrate that into every social platform, potentially integrate it into the packaging of your actual product, integrate that into your PR strategy, using paid media to boost that person's channel on behalf of you as a brand, right? So I think what's changed is that it used to be easy to do this. It used to be really simple to call someone, give them a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks to do a post, and you'd probably make a ton of money. Now that there's 550 companies and then every agency in the world saying they do this as well, it's a much more complex kind of world, so you got to really kind of push the envelope, um, I think. Just Uh, my opinion.
2: Yo, Awesome. Um, (laughs) Yes? (laughs) <laughs> okay. 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 I didn't know, I didn't know if you wanted to weigh in anymore. Um, so you, we've all, t- we've touched on this a little bit about, um, um, influencers are more powerful than salaries. And this is actually from uh full screen. This, this data is from full screen. Um, so let's follow up the a little bit about, about authenticity. Um, you know, millions of followers are micro. Um, uh, how does that come across in, um, the influencer and how they relate to the brands? What's more appropriate? not having a million followers or having 20,000 followers, but they are really authentic to that brand. So um, is there a power middle? I think that's something that, that, that you've mentioned, Eve. So okay. can, we, can we talk a little bit about that? What, how, is there a strategy for millions or micro?
5: Um, it, it, most definitely, and that's a great question. I just want to start off by just using one term, FOMO, fear of missing out. So usually people like follow social celebrities not necessarily because they trust them, you know, or, or, or they're loyal to them. They follow them because they represent something else. They represent uh, the conversations of pop culture. And they want to be in with the conversations and with the trends. So with the power middles, um, usually, especially with a uh, micro influencer. Influencers, people usually follow them because they have a genuine interest in the subjects that they're talking about. Also, they have, they, they like the content that they're producing. So, uh, what we discover is that influencers like there's a sweet spot. Influencers like between like um, like 45k to 100k, we definitely see a lot more engagements. With um, influencers uh, with 100k, they actually have eight times more engagements. The influencers with like 250k and more so um, we're, we're seeing like um, like the, the more of the authenticity uh, like you know with social celebrities um, I will really hire social celebrities to basically spread out the brand awareness um, to use them for brand ambassadors I will use like micro influencers um, for like more like engagement so the power middle is in between that and then you have the peer-to-peer influencers too. So there's different categories um, of influencers. So there's different strategies of why you should use a micro-influencers versus like a social celebrity. And, and with Kim Kardashian, she has a one percent engagement rate and over 109 million followers. So. I will hire her to basically spread the word for about my brand, but if I'm looking for traction, I, I'm not going to hire a, a Kim Kardashian or, or I mean, although they're awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, <laughs> I, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll respectfully actually disagree with you okay. on this because I mean, I don't know if you guys know the data, but the Kardashians single social posts drive billion dollar businesses, right? So Kendall's lip line is worth half a billion dollars or Kylie, sorry, Kylie's, <laughs> what, Kylie's lip line is worth half a billion dollars strictly on the value of her content. So I know there's this thing, I'm, I'm just respectfully disagreeing with you, but like, I get that there's a stigma that she has this much of a percentage, but the Kardashians sell shit at scale a lot. I but
5: agree. I think, I think they sell shit because like everybody knows who the hell the Kardashians are. Everybody knows who the Kardashians are. And I, I feel that like there's different strategies that should be implemented when you're using an, a, a micro influencer versus like a social celebrity. Like I will, you know, I am not disagreeing, but like I kind of am. But I would use I'm um, you know a micro influencer if I want to. If my goals were to like basically drive more like um engagements, have like more like app downloads, I would probably hire them. Um for, and also it depends on the budget as well. Um and that's well, where power that. middles are very beautiful. It's just like one tenth of the budget of hiring, a uh, you know, versus like hiring like a social celebrity, you can get that with a power middle influencer. So, yeah. Ethan?
0: (laughs) Um, I think a lot of this conversation kind of goes back to whether you're looking for traditional publicity or if you're looking for exposure on social platforms themselves. So, um, at Census, we've partnered with micro-influencers and we've seen great engagement and follow through to the brands. But previously when I was at Reflex, um, I was partnering like, I did a partnership with Courtney Stodden. I don't know if anyone knew, knows who that is. But um, she generates a great deal of press. She's not um, super relevant across social platforms. But she, you know, her kind of partnerships, anything that's news newsworthy with her, she has a great uh, rapport with the media. So she gets a lot of traction in UK press, and that uh, proved to be one of the... Um, Actually, I believe it was the highest return that um, for the brand that that facilitated this partnership. That was the highest return that they had ever seen from any sort of traditional or um, modern, quote unquote, advertising. So I think it really goes back to what the brand is looking for and um, and what kind of exposure you want. Janine?
3: Yeah, I mean, my my personal opinion is I think that you need. I I already kind of said this, but I think you need a diverse mix of influencers. I think that's the best strategy because I've seen influencers with a ton of followers drive no conversions, and I've seen influencers with very few followers drive way more conversions than I ever expected. And it's not always easy to tell how someone's gonna do. You can look at a lot of different metrics. You can look at engagement. you You can look at a bunch of different things that will be a good indicator, but you're never really gonna know how someone's gonna perform, honestly, until you work with them. Um, so I like to just have a mix and I like to, I mean, micro influencers, yes, they percentage wise, they get better engagement, but you, you might not, you might just do better with someone larger rather than wasting your time working with a hundred small people. I just think that the best, the best strategy is to get a mix of people.
4: I agree. And there's just two things I want to say about the like celebrity. I think that Kylie Jenner is a perfect example of a celebrity that is social first, which mo- most celebrities are like, they only have one way communication, they do represent more of like an awareness play, but like Kylie Jenner's a perfect example of somebody who represent, who knows her social media is just as powerful as anything else she's doing. Um, and then also, there's just so many more levels to like celebrity versus micro, like there's the, Um, you know, the middle of that, like between Kylie and and Micro, that is very powerful because they're hungry. You know, they're hungry, they're eager to do brand deals. But then when you get to the micro level, there's also this whole other layer of people that are just trying to monetize. So they're promoting like five different brands in one week and you're just part of this like monetization machine. So you really have to just be careful with like, what are you trying to accomplish? If it's transactional, like that's, that's a perfect example of when to use that. Um, but if you are looking for that deeper engagement and possibly getting it on the ground floor, you know you might want to like look with somebody, work with somebody who's bigger, who has already established their brand and is less likely to go Justin Bieber on your ass, like in you know, a couple months.
2: Excellent. Um, so, I want to talk about the legal side of things for just a little bit. The FTC is making changes. Federal Trade Commission, right? So, If you have a relationship with a brand, you have to disclose it, otherwise the FTC takes issue with that. And in fact, for last year, for the first time, instead of just sending letters to agencies and advertisers, they sent letters to talent. And we're talking major names. Heidi Klum got a letter. I'm sure she didn't care. I'm sure she... I I don't know, but I'm sure she has teams of lawyers that she basically said, go take care of this. But what I want to ask the panel is, do you provide a social media policy? to the people that you work with. And I'd like to just, because it's so important, because again, it's not just the agency that's on the line anymore, which is bad, but the influencer, it could end their career, right? So I'd like to talk just a little bit about legal because it's really important.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely, absolutely require that all FTC regulations are followed. It, even verbal mentions in YouTube videos now is technically what's required, um, as well as in description and then on in Instagram, hashtag ad. Um, I absolutely think it's important to make sure that that's done. Um, yes, the influencer could be in trouble, but I think the brand is where, who's really gonna get hurt at the end of the day. Um, so clearly have to do it, it's key.
4: That's like my life today, cause I had to have an influencer revise a cut twice because they didn't do the disclosures properly for Mattel. And I'm like, why? Um, but you know, like I just wanted to say one thing about the disclosures. I do think that FTC is like going hardcore on the influencer business and not necessarily um, you know, focusing on other places where integrations are happening. However, we do have a lot of creators where they might be super passionate about something and the audience thinks it's sponsored, but it's not, and they get upset because they, they like don't mind brands, but they wanna know that it's a branded video. So they will like say, Why did you not tell us this was sponsored? And we're like, No, 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 I really just this is just me. So that's an interesting trend that I've been seeing of like want like an audience wanting more disclosure.
0: Yeah. I think that audiences are really looking for that. And even myself as a viewer, um, there are certain influencers that I've been with for a long time. You know, I started following them five years ago and now, um, I'm almost keen to unfollow because I can't decipher what's real and what's not. Um, so I think as a as an observer, almost you do want that um, that disclosure.
1: I think, but I think one of the other things is uh, how the platforms are stepping up a little bit in this arena. So obviously Facebook and Instagram both have this uh, handshake button. So when an influencer does a partnership with a brand, instead of some of these other disclosures, they actually can create a partnership with the brand. And it says at the top, paid, promotion with X brand above the post. And I think like for brands right now, that's probably one of the one of the X factors that's kind of new in the industry that should be implemented, one for data. So you're actually gonna see all that data on your ads manager. You have the ability to boost posts again in real time on your ads manager. But when you look at the big picture thing is once that starts happening, Facebook and Instagram are, start, are gonna start suppressing organic reach on those posts tremendously, because they need to make their cut of this influencer business. So there's kind of like a, it's a it's a weird situation where the platforms are building these tools to help disclose, but really I think they're building it to help the bottom line obviously, but that's just another perspective on this FTC compliance issue. Eep?
5: Um So what we do, we, we want to make it very clear. Um, we have, um, Uh, FTC clauses, uh, compliance clauses within our scope of work and also within our master service agreements. Um, And also we go two additional steps. We have a a QA department that actually verifies and and before the influencer even publish anything at all, their QA department basically uh, makes sure that everything is up to par. Um, and also um, of one of our um, in, in our we have tools to basically figure once they publish it that they're using these like what is in an agreement so if they're using certain task tasks that was required within the um, within a contract our systems can actually tell us that they comply to this and they and they also will let us know that they haven't put this um, FTC um, within their posts so that's just like a double verification that we have to make sure that everything is up to par and is like ftc and um, compliance
2: okay so um, i want to talk about platforms a little bit um you know it seems to me that instagram and youtube are the most popular for for influence but i, I want to talk about is there value in in other platforms and speaking of the kardashians they've come up i don't remember which one don't ask me kylie but was it that made a, a a diss on Snap or about Snapchat, and it cost them a billion dollars in stock valuation in a day by one comment? So I'm just curious about. Yes, we know Instagram and YouTube rule, but what else? How can you use these other platforms?
4: So creators, of course, they're focusing on YouTube and Instagram because they have the best monetization. Um, currently set up so that's why they're gravitated towards there but they're constantly exploring other platforms because you have to be relevant and go where your audience is um i think just in terms of like a sleeper i mean maybe not a sleeper because it's a giant but amazon like we see like amazon being you know there we see the rise in um retail on instagram and like it's just a matter of time where these influencers go to amazon to become their own little mini stores and represent like a new platform for audiences to engage so that's what i
1: Yeah, and I think um, to elaborate on Amazon, Twitch. So I don't know if um, anyone saw Drake and Ninja and had their live stream with a million people concurrently watching it last week, but I think that was kind of like the biggest game-changing crossover of culture into gaming and traditional influence and kind of changing the big thing. And there's a new element of Twitch, which is called Twitch Prime, which actually gives a user the ability to follow a specific creator, and that creator is now being paid for their followers on their channel. So Ninja, I think, has like 200,000 paid subscribers on Twitch, and he's gonna do 800 to a million bucks this month just by people watching him play Fortnite twice a a day. So So I think that's that's like a huge kind of platform that I think is really exciting, so Twitch, Crossover mainstream um, Twitch Prime monetization directly to subscribers on your channel. So uh, that's another. I, I think it, I don't know if it's sleeper as much because there's, I mean, a lot of there's 350 million right. people Wrong that are word. Prime Wrong members. Word.
4: But I was just gonna say my um, my dad asked me about Ninja the other day, and that's like the official crossover, right? <laughs> um,
3: I think that there's there's value in whatever platform the audience is on. And I think that the smart influencers know that, and that's why you see most people on all platforms. Um, I think wherever there's like an organic connection between the influencer and their audience, I think there's value. Um, I've done sponsored snaps, they've worked. Um, I think Instagram stories are better, but it's it's something that's there. Um, I think that another one is Facebook, obviously um, so huge for, for advertising. Um, I think that you'll find, I find now that a lot of influencers don't have Facebook pages and, or if they do, they just don't, it's just not a priority for them, which is fine. But I think that um, since Facebook works so well for ads, at least since, I mean, for my company, we spend a ton of money on Facebook ads. I think there's value in having an influencer or even, even if it's a micro influencer post on Facebook and then boost that post, like we've been talking about um, that third party endorsements really valuable. So. It can be maybe a lower cost since people aren't really prior influencers anyway aren't really prioritizing facebook and it can be a great a great tool for brands to use uh, one
5: Thank of the you. things that i'm seeing with uh, these mega conglomerate uh, social uh, platforms like um, facebook and um and twitter for example is that for up-and-coming um, platforms they're kind of like once they reach the traction and gain the uh, rareness for these from facebook and and uh, YouTube, that they really go to, in two different directions. They're forced to either acquire or either they're forced, if they do not acquire, they, they basically uh, face the risk of um, Facebook using some of their innovative features and make it in a tool in their toolbox. So we see that with Snapchat. With Hadaway, um, you know, with Facebook, how they're doing their stories, um, and also with Instagram. So th- there's a beauty with like these niche and up and coming um, like platforms, how they really resonate and listen to the voice, they reach a need. And I'm really curious of how it's going to be with the Generation Zs, because like for Instagram to them, it's just too tedious. You have to take a picture, um, do a filter, have a caption. And then like, you know, get a generate like a hashtag and they just wanna just snap and chat. They just wanna just like do it like really quick and easy. So I'm really curious to how the road ahead will be like for like Gen Zs and, and platforms that would resonate with them.
0: I think there's a lot of value in also knowing your audience and defining your audience. So a lot of the platforms that we've discussed in this conversation skew a little bit young, but if you're looking f- to reach an older audience, maybe you could even go back to like bloggers, I mean a traditional blog, like a WordPress hosted blog or, um, you know, Facebook doesn't seem as progressive in terms of, you know, the visual platform and whatnot. And I agree that a lot of influencers don't even post there, a lot of traditional influencers. But, um, you know, if you were looking to reach maybe like a traditional suburban household, Um, I think there would be a lot of value in that platform. So it is defining the audience and seeing, you know, where they're living socially.
2: Excellent. Um, So I want to circle back to finding the right influencer for the brand. I want to talk a little bit about that. We've touched on it a little bit. but I want to circle back to that. Uh, You know, what are some of the vetting strategies that you all employ? And I'm also curious about the data. I know, Eve, you mentioned data. Um, But let's, let's talk a little bit about that a little bit longer. You can start, Eve. Go ahead.
5: <laughs> okay. So um, we have our, our I have my CTO here, like he's the head of tech. Uh, they use like natural language processing and also um, visual recognition to figure out, um, and also we use like raw data coming from uh, like platforms, social platforms to figure out um, who the influencer really is um, and, and also to gain more insight on their audience. So um, we, we use like, um, that's, that's what we do to vet out the influencer. Uh, what we discover is that, um, that there is a lot of fake engagements too, like within, uh, like when an influencer posts that they can have fake likes, they can have fake comments. Um, so we want to basically vet that out and Having a huge staff to actually do that is going to take a lot of resources and time. So artificial intelligence and machine learning really automates that for us. It makes it a lot easier for us to predict, um, to, to vet out, to basically see these fake engagements and also fake followers. So we use that you know, for in our process of vetting out influencers.
2: Well, and really quick, that also goes to authenticity right exactly how huh?
4: yeah you can even bot watch time which if you don't know um, is how much you watch on youtube so people are actually just like watching views in another country and the people are paying them to do it it's crazy um, but yeah i mean like i could like 5 years ago when i started at full screen like i remember dreaming up all these data like technologies that we were d- data and technologies that we were going to use to source influencers and they're finally here like it's like the blue sky of Um, Influencer data is here and like so many companies have access to it. So we're, you know, it's all, I mean, I feel like we probably subscribe to the most data that I feel like we subscribe to too much data. It's almost overwhelming. So like after, now that we have the data, we need the, we need the technology that really like pulls it all together and makes the right choices, which is where machine learning comes in and figuring out. um, So it's really advanced, but it's still, it still has ways to come in terms of how it's applied because it can be applied in so many different ways. And there's almost too much information that you need to make sure that you still need a human to kind of like pull together and understand like the programming of that talent.
5: And one of the things about AI and machine learning that they can never ever replace is creativity. And that's like what you were stating that you need like a the human touch, uh, the human being. Uh, I don't see that far. I see that Amazon, they created this like basically this AI fashion recognition, but I don't really see the creativity with that. With them, uh, they're basically producing, basically taking track of the trends that is happening with fashion, but they really are not producing the fashion itself. So creativity is like a huge part that I feel like that AI and machine learning can never ever replicate.
3: Janine? Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of platforms out there now that will give you a lot of information about you know looking into the influencer who who their audience is and how their demographics break down which are extremely obviously extremely important um so i always look at that um engagement obviously is very important as well um and a couple of things i like to look for i like to kind of follow the influencer around the internet and see how their following is on other platforms because to me that tells me um you know if their primary platform is youtube but they also have really large followings on instagram and twitter that tells me that their audience is willing to sort of follow them around the internet and they, they will, they will, you know, go take that action. They'll do what the influencer is telling them to do. Um, another thing I like to do is look at past sponsored videos because then I'll get a sense of how, how the influencer does with creating that sponsored content. If they, you know, keep it to a strict 30 seconds and they're never going above and beyond, I'm less likely to work with someone who's really going, doing, going the extra mile and, and, making sure that the video is really great. Um, Yeah. And then I think uh, in terms of brand fit, I think um, this is something that varies from brand to brand for sure. That I think some brands really care about the influencers being on brand. But for me, that's much less important in general, depending on the context. But if I'm working with an influencer, I'm going after them because of their audience and not because of them. And I feel like sometimes you know, great people who have an audience that might really want to buy the product that the influencer is talking about. They might get skipped over because they're not like a the perfect visual brand fit, but I, I care much less about that. But Depends on, you know.
1: Justin. So I think, I think everyone said everything kind of related to it. Uh, who here is, works at a brand? So, So there's, uh, since I don't work at my company anymore, what I like to do is share like a lot of the the best knowledge in the space. So there's usually only a couple companies that actually aggregate the data and then everyone actually uses those companies. So one recommendation I would say is looking at a company called Demographics Pro um, when you're looking at influencer audiences, because I will probably tell you as an insider in the industry, 99% of people are probably pulling their data from this one source so if you went directly to the source it might be a little bit better for you guys. Um I would highly recommend using that source as a input tool when checking some of the things that you guys are doing yourself for your own information and and usually that's a good initial check and then from there obviously you can use the partners or all the other things related to executing the work but you know as a as yeah I just like to share those things cuz I think it's important for us to
3: One other thing, Um, so I like to call this the bit.ly trick. Some people might know this, but a lot of people don't. If you see a bit.ly and you add a plus at the end of it, you can see how many clicks that link got. And so what I like to do is look at past sponsored videos, add a plus at the end, and then you can see how much traffic the, the, yeah.
1: Also where the traffic came from. So if you're getting a bunch of stuff in Brazil, not that I have anything against Brazil, but yeah. Ethan?
0: Just rip this out of your head. We're sharing. We're coming from a PR background and um, and doing a lot of these partnerships uh, for press purposes. Um, The main thing that I'm looking at is the reporter's interest in the celebrity. So I know earlier I referenced Courtney Stodden. She performed really, really well for me. I've done other partnerships that didn't do as well, regrettably. Um, because they just weren't as newsworthy or as friendly in the in the press Um, and a lot of the times I was looking for international partnerships not necessarily domestic focus Um, so it was really speaking with the reporters seeing who they were interested in um, and sometimes those would be behind the scenes kind of conversations um, and and then going out for those partnerships from there but I'm definitely paying attention to you know kind of what kind of uh, traction they've got and how frequently they're covered uh, within the media.
2: Great. So, we touched on tracking a little bit. We just talked about the data sources. So, uh, when I was doing my research, and I don't know what this is, but urchin tracking module. First, I want to know how they came up with the word urchin. Um, but I, I do know that it tracks ID sources and, and the medium and the campaign, so it's giving you data. Have You guys ever heard of that? I mean, I was curious about that. And if not, I, I know, we Justin, we just talked about some of the other... Um, the data companies but whether what other ROI tools do you guys use this is
3: a utm is that what that is i, yes. I never technically, knew technically
2: technically it is called the urchin tracking module which sounds really scary
3: yeah um so utms are uh, crucial so with with my company um we we when we're spending money, we need to get return on investment. So we need to be generating sales with every dollar we spend and we don't necessarily care about things like engagement as much. Um, I mean, obviously engagement is a great indicator, but if we're not driving sales at the end of the day, our campaigns are not a success. So UTMs go on that, are just basically at the end of a link and they will track exactly who, who the influencer was. And so you know exactly what sales
2: they drove. So is that a common practice for everybody?
5: Um, yes, like we, we use UTM, um, especially like for like e-commerce, like we can track it out, like how an, an influencer is for a particular campaign, their traction, their reach. Uh, we also use like promo codes too as well, um, and it really depends on the campaign. Some some companies and brands they really don't uh, they don't have the Resources allocated for the UTM. Some of them we just prefer just the promo codes. So it really just depends on the on the brand of how way we use um you know if we're going to use like promo codes or our UTM's Kyle.
4: So we get a lot of brands asking us how to drive you know it, how can we prove that this drove ROI? And I mentioned earlier that measurement has really um, taken a big step, but there's really only like two studies right now that are like not done in a lab and that can actually be done like on an organic post that's not promoted with paid. Um, so we still have a long way to go. Uh, I would say like that's, the market is now demanding it, so I feel like there's going to be a lot of new studies that are coming out. Like the two that do right now are Google, and they make you do it yourself, of course. Um, and then like I think Nielsen has one as well. So there's a, we still have a lot of work to do in the measurement of, of things beyond just tracking a link because like a lot of brands can't measure their sales based on um, link tracking.
5: But Google Acquirer, you, uh, Urchin, UTM, they acquired them like some time ago. So uh, like they're, they're, yeah, I definitely agree that they're really like going on the ranks and like, of course, it's Google. <laughs> like we're finding out like different metrics and how we can basically find out how a campaign could be more successful.
1: Yeah, I think to echo your sentiment in the sense of like, uh, Organic postings really hard to track, mostly because the platforms don't want you to track how well organic content does on their platforms because they're not being paid for it. But I think if you look at, maybe like a little bit of a prediction in the future, so this Cambridge Analytica stuff is actually, I think, yeah. slightly good. Um, it's okay for advertising, but I think it's good for the topic of data and how data is used internally in the platforms and in all honesty, I think Facebook's about to get like hardcore regulated, which means their data will now be available for very important private companies to do this type of measurement. And I think Nielsen will probably be the one because that's who is the most trusted. So I think there's a big kind of new wave coming with kind of all these changes within the platforms um, that I think is gonna be good for everyone.
2: I want to circle back to something that Janine mentioned about engagement. Um, Do you have brands, and this is for the whole panel, but do you have brands that come to you with very specific goals and are expecting a certain ROI? And if if you can share an example of, hey, wait a minute. Anybody? What are brands asking for?
3: Well, I mean, so I've been on both both sides. Um, I think when I was on the agency side, it was a little bit earlier in the influencer marketing days. I think that you know you have to just you have to set the brand up for you have to set expectations. I guess is what it is. Um, with something like a with something like an Instagram influencer, um, getting an ROI, getting people to visit a link in bio is a near impossible task. Like people people are going to see the post, the the awareness is going to happen, but they're just probably not going to make that click so I think um, you know just knowing going in what you're s- kind of signing up for um, that's why I love YouTube so much because it's easier to get that click um, but yeah I mean we have extremely specific goals and uh, we have a CPA that we have to hit overall and so the
4: closest we've gotten to with um, you know other than getting a click, because of course we can measure clicks and if you have a link that's tracking, you might be able to even uh, measure conversions, is we work with Mattel very closely. We work with their data um, and analytics team very closely and we've been doing a lot of media mix modeling to correlate our efforts to sales. And so for the time being, you just need to get creative, you need to get your data your data people in with your influencer people and figure out how you can measure this in a way together because there's no like one size fits all solution right now.
2: Anybody else want to weigh in? Okay, cool. We'll move on. So um, I want to talk about content creation for a little bit and, and your perspective on each one of your agencies and, and what you do. Um, are, you, are you hands off and let the creator uh, you know, just create the content? I know Kyle earlier, you mentioned that you, you had an influencer today. You made her recut the thing because she didn't do something on the FTC side of things or disclaimers, disclosures. But what is that relationship when you're working with influencers? How involved are you? Um, and do you provide strategy guidelines? And also, are you seeking a relationship or are you hiring that influencer for a very specific thing? Or are you trying to build a relationship for other clients down the road? So, um, Kyle, you have the mic. Let's start with you.
4: Um, so I'm always trying to build relationships because not only am I going to maybe use them later, but um, I can figure out if they're easy to work with, and that's really a big factor when working with influencers. But There's no one-size-fits-all. Again, you have to determine how, like, are they able to do what you're asking them to do, both from a production standpoint and from a creative standpoint, and it's really a collaborative process. So we, like, meet with the influencer, we we talk to them about what we're trying to accomplish, and we offer our services. Like, look, we'll get our creative people in a room, and we can brainstorm together, or we can produce this for you. Um, If it goes, what I say, out of the bedroom, which Sometimes it just means out of the bedroom, but anything that they've never done before, like we 100% need to produce that because they're not used to doing um, shoots for clients. So they don't think about things like disclosures or don't wear logos on your shirt or you can't bring some rando into the video without getting them to sign a release. So we have to really manage um, those shoots for them.
2: Music playing in the background. Thank you very much, right? right? Yes, let's try to edit that out. Justin? Um, So
1: I think, so... I'll go amplify. So, you know, we built some tech to do a lot of this, which was to enable them to create it on their mobile phone and then give it back to us whenever they've kind of gotten their first draft. But I think the one thing that about content that I think is really important, and I don't know if we touched on it, but Influencer, I think, falls under three stacks when you think about it. Uh, when you decide to work with one, you have media, you have content, and then you have PR kind of all built into one little thing, little package. And I think leveraging like the micro that some people were talking about a little bit earlier as your content mechanism as a brand, to me is like one of the most important things that people I think aren't using when they're building their brands nowadays. So let me give a real like kind of core example. You're a brand, you're launching a cup. Usually what happens is you're gonna go find someone to do photography around your cup and everything around this cup brand and create all this cup brand content and you go to a content agency for that. But what you can do nowadays is why not hire a creator, an influencer that has a built-in audience, tell them that you want one post, but ask them for five as an example and say that if they're good enough, you'll pay for the other five. Um, So what you're doing is actually using these people as a content mechanism as much as a media channel to distribute content, right? So again, it's like hacking the system per se, but like... That's what I think is really interesting about the influencer spaces, leveraging that in the kind of a bigger way.
3: Ethan or Janine, either way. Um, yeah. So I like to, in general, I kind of like to let the influencer dictate the content wherever possible with guidance. So I like to chat with them on what they're thinking for the concept um, but they know their audience the best. Um, that's why they have the audience. That's why the audience comes back and looks at their content all the time. So I like to sort of give suggestions and i always give talking points like things they need to make sure they mention if it's a video um but i do like to give them that freedom because yeah they they know what their audience will respond to better um and then to touch on justin's point so um we do a lot of we um use a lot of ugc for our site and it's a really really important and really great like way to people relate really well to it and they respond really well to it. So we we use influencers to create um, posts that will actually live on the product pages of our site and that has improved conversion so much. So it's kind of like, yeah, you kind of get the benefit of, you get that content and you also get the access to their following. So it's like killing two birds with one stone. I'm
1: going plu- to plug a buddy's company that does that. It's called Pixly. So if you've ever done any research in UGC content for e-commerce, Pixly. It's all good. This is AMA. We're all about promotion and marketing. It's all good. (laughs) Ethan and then Eve.
0: Well, of course, at Census, we always say that we believe in a high level of touch. So you want to establish a strong relationship with the influencer. And I think that would really go for any agency or in-house position. Um, And of course, you want the content to read as organic. So um, it's not in a brand's best interest to dictate too much because... it just doesn't uh, transpire quite as well. Um, and as far as the relationships go, um, I really, really believe in relationships. I um, I think definitely from celebrities and influencers alike, um, they're so well-connected, it's such a small community, and a lot of the times they can help you um, propel your projects to the next level by um, introducing you to friends or, um, or introducing you to other strategic kind of partnerships. So They'll speak
2: the language of the audience, right? Eve?
5: Well, I think basically I agree with what everybody says and that's what we implement there uh, at Mostly Sunny. Um, I, as mentioned um, before, like we really believe that if the that, that influencer knows their audience the most and that we should really um, have a structure, creative guideline and creative control like f- um, to, the, to the influencer. For And it really depends on, on the budget. For higher end budget, of course, there's gonna be more structure that is alongside. There's many multiple parties that is are that are involved, uh, versus like these um, smaller projects uh, where the, the influencer is more granted more creative control. So with rather smaller budgets or higher budgets, we definitely look for and shoot for long-term relationships with influencers. We're r- really not into the one-offs.
2: Excellent. So before we go to Q and a, I've got one more question. So. Um, Uh, I want to talk, I want to, I'm going to skip. So what's coming? I want to jump into the future here and break out the crystal ball. Um, You know, there's been some issues, as we all know, with um, brand placement uh, and content on YouTube. Advertisers, you know, fled YouTube in in, in some respects last year, or some influencers said some really stupid things that affected their relationship with the brands. So on this question, What's coming, but also, do you all see some more form of self-regulation, either through IAB or through other some other, you know, agency or collective organization between everybody that's in this space? So, bottom line is, what's coming from a from a content perspective of regulation, and what's coming that we should just be thinking about?
1: I love the future. Um, so, what I think coming is a world where. There, it, there, this duopoly is gonna have to get broken up by the government, so Facebook and Google, like, it's going to get regulated and probably broken up. And what I think is gonna happen is there's gonna be a third element browser added to the entire stack of how we view content. So as you guys know, when you view something on a YouTube, before you get to the YouTube, you're going through a browser protocol that showed YouTube up. So I think there's gonna be this new layer that we all have that the content creator that developed that specific page that you're seeing, viewing or seeing is gonna get direct credit without the platform necessarily getting involved right away. So what happens right now, which is kind of the fucked up thing about advertising is that the creator maybe gets 5% of the entire deal at the end of the whole spiel, right? After companies you know, that are management companies, great companies like you guys have here, they're getting obviously getting a cut. The platforms themselves are getting a massive cut and then ultimately it gets dwindled down to the creator. So I think the shift that's happening is that there's going to be a browser element that people are gonna download, so they actually have value and can translate value to the creators that they love. And then even more importantly, when you look at the audience side, right? So what's the product at Facebook? Everybody raise their hand. We're the products at Facebook, right? We're the things that make Facebook money every single day. There's gonna be a translation coming back to you as a user as well. And we're seeing that a little bit kind of in the blockchain space. Companies like Brave, so if you know the Brave browser and what they're doing for the entire kind of commuter, uh, connected, um, sorry, creator generation, that's kind of where I think is future, but I could be completely wrong about all that.
3: Janine? Okay, so uh, one thing that I'm doing with my creators, and I think as brands continue to get smarter about influencer marketing and continue to Like, I think, you know, in in the beginning, I think people were sort of it was a new thing. People were willing to spend money on it. They were kind of gambling. I think now um, and I think this is going to be more true. People really are going to be requiring that return on investment. And so something that I do with my influencers is I um, try to incentivize them with a commission on the back end as well as an upfront payment. Um, And I don't pay them out the commission until they recoup the upfront payment. So it's sort of like a down payment. Um, and I think that it, it's not really a pill that influencers are super happy to swallow yet. Um, but I think that uh, my hope is that brands enforce this type of behavior because, um, you know, there's a lot of there's been a lot of money wasted in the space, and I think there's a lot of really inflated pricing that influencers are getting these days. Um, and I'm hoping that it's gonna come back down and we're gonna really be able to base things more on performance.
2: Well, you know, and that's really interesting to me because that gets back to the original direct uh, marketing model of royalties versus the guarantee for the talent. So that's really interesting. Ethan, what's
0: coming? Um, One thing that I always try to kind of work into my contract or at least my conversation with especially celebrity type influencers is um, that they're basically, they have a PR team working behind them. So they're adding exposure to their personal brand. So it's kind of an added value for them to um, work into this partnership. And um, the more or better work that they do, the more press coverage they'll get um, in return, they'll see a larger following in the end. So um, that's kind of how I work it in. But as far as um, platforms themselves, I'm probably not the best guy to speak to that.
4: (laughs) Well, Justin totally stole mine. So I was gonna say that. (laughs) Um, So I, I, you know, mine's also just about monetization. I feel like Right now, YouTube is really the leader in monetization. Like their algorithm has not really changed for years. You, they, people know how to program it. I mean, program towards it, and that's not really the same with other platforms. So like, it, like it's just constantly changing, and people don't have other than Instagram. Like they don't really know how to program for the platform consistently because it's like constantly changing what you should program for. So I just see more consistency in like, you know, the models and being able to monetize across platforms in different ways and, and things favoring the creator more um, because there's only so long like, that you know, YouTube can take so much of a cut of a creator's business when they can become platform agnostic very soon.
2: Eve, what do you think? What is your crystal ball
4: saying?
5: (laughs) Uh, So there's just so many things like with with Cambridge Analytica, um, I feel like there's going to like Justin already describe it. Um, There was actually something really interesting that I I read um, um, about a few days ago. And it was about, um, is anybody familiar with Alibaba? Okay, so it's basically like the Amazon of, of China. So uh, what they're doing um, they're they also have like a social a huge social media platform too. Um, so some they're trying to integrate and they're, they're they're partnering with a startup in San Francisco who basically has these um, it's really hard to explain. Basically it's like a vending machine for cars. And like in order for you to get this car out it's about your influence. So it's about like you can pay either a small amount due to your influence, or you can pay like a, a bigger f- amount if you don't have that influence. So it's really interesting to see like how successful that is going to um, to be. But um, yeah, I see also more like, you know, in terms of content creation, like we're gonna see more of a heavy push with AR and also 360 camera, um, a lot of the the jobs and uh, that we have work on, we like we like to integrate 360 for like behind the scenes, like for events. So I definitely see like that being pushed out, especially with for like the iPhone, like um, the the new features that they just in, um, and just like push out that they have more like AR compatible um, for, and, and that could be helpful for influencers who want to create that content for like AR. So, um, yeah, uh, that's just, um, I said, <laughs> yeah. Wow.
2: Well, so if you're affluent in China, they'll give you a discount on the car because it's advertising of you driving it around. Right. Yeah. That's amazing.
5: I, yeah, I was like,
4: yeah, <laughs> it is it's interesting. I just Excellent. saw a black mirror episode about that. It's really yeah. scary.
2: All right, so let's it's give actually it up for our happening panel. though. Oh.
1: Ten, ten cents doing that. There's a score. There's like a China score for people. It's happening. So that's real. Very real.
2: Okay, we're gonna start Q and A, but let's give it up for our panel, please. That was awesome. All right, I saw a gentleman back here raise his hand quickly. So wait for the mic. I'll be right there. So my question to you is uh, when it comes to
4: the uh, B2B, could you uh, expound on uh, how the influencer space works with B2B?
5: We usually deal with um, uh, like B2C, uh, but when I'm thinking about B2B, I I feel like uh, the influencers who will resonate the most are like experts in the field. So like um, connecting more, becoming more like an industry leader and um, and having those types of uh, expert uh, influencers to post uh, about your company or your ideas or your products. I think that that would be influ- like more, influ- more better, better for like um, B2B um, companies.
1: I'd, I'd like to go a little, just tell me a little bit more. What do you mean by B2B? The more For you example, give me, the more I can give you. That's Okay, what I'm
2: so that I started with a very open-ended question. So, uh, so basically, uh, people who are interested in promoting services, um,
1: lawyers, yeah. doctors, yeah. those such things. Exactly.
2: Is there like a directory of them, or in uh, you know where do you? Do you have a? Is there a lot of demand for that?
1: Well, I think look, if you're if you're a doctor or a lawyer, um, and let's maybe just go specific with doctor services, right? So, friends of mine run LaserAway here in LA, um, pretty big brand that does a lot of these kinds of things with influencers. So it's a it's a it is kind of a direct to consumer kind of model, but I guess the point is that that individual influencer is still talking to a potential person that is your potential customer at that end kind of goal, right? So a doctor talking to a doctor or that other end. I think it's a little bit more difficult and I'm not saying that this thing actually works for that vertical. Influencer marketing isn't for everything. Like I think one of the big misconceptions is like car brands using influencers, like driving an Audi like once a week and you think that those people are gonna go buy an Audi as a result of that, I think is like the biggest miss. But they have a ton of money, so a lot of people go after them. But there's some verticals that are just like, this doesn't make sense for it, don't waste your money, focus on Facebook ads. This I think might the be on- it. In the, my, Honestly, that might be it for you.
0: I think the only time that that can make sense is when you utilize the influencer to be almost a micro-spokesperson for your company. So um, if you do push them into like a traditional press space and work them into trade publications and so on and so forth, a lot of the times, of course, a journalist is more interested to speak with a, a, a quote-unquote influencer than um, a spokesperson or a traditional spokesperson for the company itself.
2: Okay, next question.
3: Hello. Um, I'm curious. Uh, oh, sh- sure. I, my name's is Um So my question is twofold. And tell me
4: your first name again. Ethan. Ethan. So you had mentioned Courtney Stodden. Um, is she considered a micro-influencer? And then also, I don't know if anybody on
3: the panel actually elaborated, but w- what exactly would constitute a micro-influencer?
0: So Courtney has, I think, 250,000 Instagram followers. Her engagement isn't incredibly high, um, but as I said, I think where she really had a lot of value was it within traditional media. So um, I come from a PR background, so the influencers that I'm looking to target are typically ones that can generate press for my brands, um, which is why Courtney worked really, really well for me.
3: I think that's a tough question because I think, honestly, it really depends on who you're talking to. I've heard um, people refer to someone with like 200,000 subscribers as a micro-influencer. And then I've heard, you know, like 5,000 followers as a micro-influencer. So I think it it just really depends on on who you're talking to. Um. Yeah, I agree.
5: It's kind of like the, although it's um, influencer marketing is becoming more of a more respected media uh, uh, marketing tool, um, outlet, I feel that, um, like, for, for micro-influencers, like, we have different um, opinions about and definitions about what an influencer is. What we consider um, a micro-influencer is, like, they start at 10K to about, like, 100K. And then we, there's the power middle influencer, which we, as we think um, it starts at 65K to 250K. Then there's like web celebrities, and there's like, um, and then that basically, in my opinion, they, in our company's opinion, starts at 500K to millions. And then there's the uh, traditional uh, celebrities which have like millions of followers too as well. And also we discover that um, there's like influencers, like the peer-to-peer, a friend-to-friend influencer, which is like under a 10K. So be, um, it's like under 10K. So Next question, right
2: here.
4: Hi, hello, oh, okay. <laughs> Hi, so my name is Hugh and I consider myself like an up-and-coming influencer. And so I know we talked a lot about like influencers as if they were this something that wasn't very like tangible so but how do so how do you like for me how would I get noticed by you by like an influencer agency would I come to you or would you come to me to work together
1: how big is your audience right now Um,
4: I'm hoping to reach like 10k by April
1: okay so I think my advice, and this is to anybody that asks me the same exact question, is that you need to focus on one thing and one thing only. It's your content and the value that you provide your audience. Because if your number one goal right now is talking to people like us on how to monetize that channel, it's probably gonna be the wrong decision for you and it's probably not gonna lead you to be an authentic, actual creator that's driving real influence. So my suggestion to you, and you can take my advice or not, is to uh, focus on your content, and focus on why you provide value to, if I'm your follower, why you provide value to me. Because what I'm giving you is my most valuable currency, which is my attention. I really hope you make it, I really do. Um,
3: I think, uh, as a brand, I think if you're interest, if there's a brand that you're particularly interested in, I would reach out. It doesn't hurt to reach out. Um, you know, like we talked about, I think there are a lot of brands who are looking for, like, we call it IGC, so influencer generated content. I think that there are brands out there for sure that would love to have you create that content for them. Um, and I think they're at least for my brand, like we do things like we pay people based on commission. So even if you're not at, you know, a target follower, if we're, you know, we're not, say we're not paying anyone upfront who has less than 50,000 followers, which isn't true. I'm just, just for an example, we would, we might still definitely work with you, get you to to post beautiful Instagram photos for us and then pay you for sales that you generate. So I would reach out, do research and look for brands that are working with influencers and then reach out.
5: Yeah. It's just, stays true to your voice. Uh, true to your brand and your tribe and I also what I really love is when influencers they can they give me a media kit and also the data and pardon me I'm a data wonk but just to give me the data of your audience for you to really know your audience inside and out to know like um, like how you can fit with certain brands so If you want to work with Nike, you can basically give them the data. Like, okay, most of my audience consists, 75% of my audience are males between the ages of 18 to 24. I have this engagement rate. Because when you're dealing with brands, they really want to know, like, how are you going to generate, like, an ROI for them? How are you going to guarantee, uh, like... uh, how you can be invest an invest in interest for them so to have that data um, is, is really important i i like to see that when an influencer approach me
2: okay last question
6: hi everyone uh thank you for the nice sharing actually my name my name is joan and uh, i worked with alibaba for the past two years and so <laughs> i'm very glad that the one of the panelists mentioned the name so my question is more uh, from the e-commerce side um so for influencers, um, uh, especially have, uh, we have someone from textile, that's like influencer, um, e-commerce, uh, like combined stuff. And do you, uh, cause the landscape in China is very different from here. So in here um, are influencers, like uh, will they be highly involved in e-commerce platforms like Amazon and stuff? Cause I noticed that uh, like YouTube, they already launched those uh, like, Links. so when you watch the video, you can uh, click through the link and to purchase the stuff so that like, the youtuber can get a cut from from the from the income so uh, yeah that's more uh, I think my question is more about the e-commerce direction so what's your take about that like the the, the future and like the next step so
3: yeah, so I think uh, what you're talking about is like an affiliate where an influencer will will use a link to a product they mentioned. Not necessarily the video wasn't necessarily sponsored, but they do. They're able to make a cut of the sale. Um, I think you know there's a lot of companies out there like Reward Styles, one that we work with, um, where influencers can kind of take matters into their own hands. They don't have a sponsor, but they want to talk about a product and they don't want to just make no money. They still want the opportunity. They can um, do something like that. I I think it's you know I don't think it's I don't think influencers are making as much money, obviously, as they would from um, an outright sponsored video. But I think that, like, I mean, in my opinion, I think commission and people really earning earning that money is going to hopefully be the future of influencer marketing. And so I'm hoping that it's going to continue to be a bigger piece and that we see it more and more.
2: Anybody else want to weigh in? Okay, we'll do one more question. Wait with Mike.
4: Uh,
3: My name is Melissa. I'm founder of Melissa Jane Marketing. And I like manage a bunch of different profiles pretty much on Instagram and stuff like that. And they're all business
4: pages. But someone recently told me they're like, oh, you should make your own personal page a business profile.
3: So I'm just kind of wondering what the benefit of having my own personal page as a business profile would be and if you guys would recommend something like that.
4: I mean the future of like how like millennials and young Gen Z and then Gen Alpha are gonna be interacting with their brand is beyond just like standard brand marketing messaging. So you should be projecting like what your brand means, what's your mission, who you guys are through you know, a business profile. I feel like that helps me get to know like what's your like how you think about your products and like how to experience you without actually having met you yet.
1: I changed my entrepreneur channel to a business page and I get way more data on my individual content posts. So I would do it just for the data because you'll get to see a lot more of like, what's your like true reach, how many impressions, what's the engagement, who's engaging more often, all demo and all psychographic data. You'll get all of it for all your posts. So I would do it for that reason. Um, yeah, that's what I would do it, only really, yeah, data.
2: All right, let's give it up for our panel again. I want to give you time to say hello to them afterwards, and so we do need to be out of here by 8.30. But thank you very much. We really appreciate it, and thank you all for coming. We hope you learned something. Thank you very much.
4: You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los
0: Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter.
1: This podcast
0: was produced by
6: Joel Metzger and Ice Box Logic.